You are listening to More to the Story, a weekly podcast featuring Pastor Drew Tarwater and Pastor Darren Enns of Forefront Church in Denver, Colorado. Each week, More to the Story podcast will follow the Forefront Church Sunday Sermon as Pastor Drew and Pastor Darren guide you through the Bible from Genesis through Revelation. Every podcast will feature in-depth analysis of the sermon and answer questions about the Bible. Now, here is more to the story. Welcome to the Forefront Church Podcast. With us this week, Pastor Darren Enns. How you doing, sir? Doing well. I had my coffee this morning. All right, so Pastor all Drew. Yeah, Pastor Drew Tarwater, how are you doing today? I'm doing well. I've also had coffee. So nice. Yeah, two for two. Hey, three for three here. I'm Rob Lizey. Today we're going to talk about stuff that we absolutely have no idea how it's actually going to turn <laughs> yeah. out. So how many wins are the Broncos going to get this year? Ooh. Is that in Revelation? Like if the Broncos do really well, is that one of the signs of the apocalypse? Like what are the or if the is it the Rockies or the Broncos that if they do if they make it to the championship that we're going, ooh. That's one of the If they win seven games, does that mean it's the seventh seal or the seventh bowl? No. I don't know. Moving on. D- come on. Darren doesn't like to speculate <laughs> on stuff like this, but hey, Drew and I gonna, can go on to... Weren't we going to ask Drew when the end of the world is coming? When yeah. The, you're when supposed is he yeah. coming back? Yeah, that's right. Drew, by the end of the podcast, you got to give us a date. So start right. working. Get, get, get your you, calculator uh, out. Okay. Ask me right when we end today. I'll tell you. Yeah. Okay. okay. Yeah. I'll tell you exactly what I know. It is, it yeah. is one of my favorite things just to mention to people. Like, If you just Google, when did people predict the end of the world? There, I think there, there's a Wikipedia page. I looked it up last spring. And there's like an, an almost an endless list. There's so many just, dates. Like everybody thought, for example. And, and then like, oh no, it didn't happen. I got my math wrong. So they updated. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. And then that date passes and that didn't happen. Well, it, it's a way to keep selling books. I know. So you know, or my, get website clicks. My favorite one was when they predicted the end of the world in the year 1000. It's like it's Ooh, it's, really? it's the end of, of the millennium. Jesus is coming back. And then then that didn't happen and I'm like, "Oh wait, no. It's uh it's 1033 because that's oh, yeah. right. when Jesus actually died and uh, was resurrected." And yeah. that passed and didn't happen and then it's like, "Oh, oh." Uh, I, I think I think it was the pope at the time. Was it? Who who did that? At one thousand, and then and then edited it to one one thousand thirty three. They're like, hey, I think Julian got the dates wrong when he set this new calendar in place. Well, yeah, and then then someone figured out that the, whoever did the date, the calendar, is it the Gregorian calendar? They yeah, just got it, it was wrong. That, the Gregorian and the Julian. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. And they're like, oh, so it's actually probably more like uh, six BC. Or, yeah, between four and six yeah. is the best we can do right. because of the dates of Herod's yeah death. Right. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. That's isn't so yeah. No, it's always funny to see. What's your favorite one so far? Like what was what was there was a one popular one when I was in grade school. I think it was like ninety something in nineties or something. There was one predicted that everyone was. Well, I remember Harold Camping with. and I think it was had a billboards all over Missouri when mm-hmm. I was Was it eighty eight maybe or yeah, something? It was like I think it was nine is twenty fourteen. Because I remember I'd be driving to work and I'd see these billboards that said the end of the world is twenty fourteen. Well, there was a popular one, December twelve or twenty one, twenty twelve. Yeah, that, uh, tw- that was yeah. one of the big ones because I think that was based on the Mayan calendar. It was, yeah, yeah. When that it was ran that, out. that was one of my more favorite ones. Like yeah, where you're kind of yeah. like, it's like should I sell everything? And, but no, I remember like, taking I, a screenshot what, of my phone at twelve twelve on twelve twelve twelve, and we were still here. So the world didn't end. 
So, well. you know, praise God. Here we are today. <laughs> <Right>? okay. <laughs> so, so Drew, you preached uh, on Sunday about the second coming and the millennialism and all that. Like, so is it about millennials? Is it about jerk kids that you talked about? <laughs> about or what did me? You, what? It's about millennials who are trying to decide what they believe about the millennium. Drew, aren't oh, you a millennial? Wow. I am a, I'm an old millennial. I'm a young That's what they call us. Yeah. Yeah. I'm a mutt. My whole life, we thought we were Gen, <laughs> Gen X until like eight years ago. And they're like, oh, no, you're millennials. We're like, oh, cool. Sounds good. So, Thanks. all right, back on topic. This like every time every time a paper's due, I know when I had a test due, I'm going, dear Lord, please come back. I don't want to have to study for this test. If you come back before for, you know before Thursday, I don't have to take the Friday test. So like I think part of the second coming with Christians is like it's a, almost when people really start studying. I think there's it's a form of Christian depression. You know, like, oh, there's I just been a want lot of prayers. And there's been a lot of uh, final prayer, finals time prayers going up. Uh, yeah, we we talked about Revelation 19, 20, and twenty one uh, on Sunday, and that's the, the you know that really classic text in the book of Revelation about Jesus returning, and you get all of this cool imagery and symbolism. Jesus returning on a white horse, and his eyes are on fire, and his robes dipped in blood. He's got a tattoo on his thigh, and his name is faithful and true. It, it's just really kind of really powerful picture of Jesus coming back. He defeats evil. He defeats the devil, throws the devil in a bottomless pit for a thousand years. And then after a thousand years, he throws him into the, the, the lake of fire, um, which is just that, that picture of like eternal damnation. And then we see that, um, the start of revelation 21, that we see a new heaven and a new earth. So when Jesus defeats death, sin and, and evil, then everything is made right again. Creation is restored to its original condition. And that mankind is, uh, then, you know, all, all of the believers in Christ, all everyone who said yes to Jesus is then able to live forever with Jesus in the presence of God. Uh, so it's this beautiful picture uh, back to the beginning. So we see that Revelation 21 gives us a snapshot of Genesis chapter 1 in a lot of ways that Darren's going to teach on next Genesis week. chapter 2. Chapter 2, yeah, Genesis chapter 2. Yeah, so can't spoil really. that because Darren's got uh, the, the culmination of the entire series this coming Sunday. But it brings Thanks. up a lot of questions. Um, <laughs> brings up a lot of questions on... Okay, when Jesus returns, is there a literal battle, right? This is what we talked about, the battle of Armageddon. When Jesus returns, is it a literal thousand years? You know, there's this view of Jesus locking the devil up for a thousand years and like a thousand years of Christian prosperity. Or is, again, is this a symbol? Um, and, you know, that does bring up, uh, you know, kind of thinking back to last week's podcast, Aaron, mm -hmm. where you and Mitch talked about the, the definition between literal views of the book of Re Revelation and more symbolic or imagery views. Right. I, I think it's important that we discuss, you know, how does this help us look at what the Apostle John sees in these visions and try to make sense of them? Yeah, and so we, we've been taking the stance that, that it's all imagery. So from Revelation 4 to ch uh, chapter 22, uh, verse six, like when the vision ends, all of it is is um, having it. It has to do something with something they would have understood, and we and we can also understand that now, even though it's a little bit difficult. And I think the important thing that that Mitch brought up for us to to remember and discuss is that the if, if we're careful and we only look at images and symbols, 
sometimes it's hard to bring it down to concrete application. And, and I certainly agree with that. We have to be careful as we're talking about these images. What, what does it actually mean for us? Because we very quickly can start talking about these images. Like, you know, we, we'll say on stage, like, the lamb is reigning. And the, the lamb is ruling. And everybody, you know, says, amen. But if someone doesn't know what that means, then they're not going to get it. And even if someone do, does know what that means, it's still an abstract idea. Right. That is, it's kind of up in the clouds. You need to bring it down and say, what does that actually mean? Well, Jesus literally conquered death when he died right. and was resurrected. That's that's what happened. And and therefore, he has defeated evil, and so he's the rightful king of this earth. Because death was reigning from Adam until Jesus. And, and so that's what that means, is that there, there's a new king, and there's a new kingdom on its way. It, it's almost here. It's coming. And we're looking ahead to the day when Jesus will actually be the rightful king and all of his subjects on the earth and in heaven are are loyal to him. And right now that's not quite here yet. Right. And so though it's a concrete way. We, we do have to bring it down. We can't just stay up in abstract cloud land. We need to bring it down. That's an important thing that that he uh, helped us make sure to understand. But I think it's important as we as we have that conversation that, you know, we... we Clearly clarify that we do believe that there is a future day when Jesus is going to return and he's going to vanquish evil and sin and death. And so what we're saying, though, is that the picture that John gets in all of this in this vision has so many connections with the book of Daniel and with Old Testament uh, apocalyptic literature. And so, you know, we're looking at reading it. Um, kind of from a literary perspective and saying this is apocalyptic literature. So mm-hmm. often in the Old Testament, the book of Daniel, when we see apocalyptic literature, we recognize that numbers often are symbolic and that the images we see often are representing real tangible things in life, but you know they're, they're communicated to us in a way to, to give us this big picture. And so when we look at Revelation 19 and 20, and we look at all of these moving pieces of Jesus returning on the white horse, Jesus having a sword coming out of his mouth, which is the word of God, Jesus having a tattoo on his thigh that says, King of Kings of Lord of Lords, we're not necessarily saying, hey, Jesus, you're really going to ride in the sky on a white horse right. with laser beams coming out of his eyes like Superman. <laughs> and you know what we're saying is this gives us the picture of the supreme king, the pure king, the one who comes to defeat evil because there is no sin on his ledger. Right? Yeah, and, and you mentioned it in your sermon that the he Jesus rode into Jerusalem on a donkey to subdue the expectation that he was going to be a conquering king. Is he a conquering king? Of course he is. And yet it wasn't the way that the Jerusalemites and the Israelites thought. Right. And he was coming in in peace to allow death to have power over him, but even in that, he flipped it on his head, and then through his death and resurrection, he has power over it, uh, power over death. And so now, this image in Revelation 19, now he's on the horse. He's on now the horse. Now he's on the white steed with the sword yeah. coming to do battle. Uh, and and it's the difference between the donkey and the steed. Now he is the conquering king, right. and he has the power. Yeah. He's done it. And And the lamb, interestingly, is not in view here. We don't read about the lamb... In, in Revelation 19, beginning in verse 11, where we see this thing. And so, Drew, you brought it up. Uh, you said that we talk about on the podcast about the blood. Yeah. So Jesus is wearing, he's dressed in a robe dipped in blood, Revelation 19 and 13. 
Um, whose blood is it? Right. Well, there's some theories on, on this. You know, there's some theories that it is the blood of the martyrs of Christians who have died because they've been persecuted by evil. Uh, there is some speculation. I kind of joked about this one that it was his own blood from the sacrifice. Um, you know, there is, is it Isaiah 65? 63. 63. Yeah, in Isaiah 63, we see talked about this idea of the uh, of, of blood and, and you know, the, mm-hmm. the conquering king. You want me to read it? Yeah. I've got it here. So in the NIV, the title of Isaiah 63 is God's Day of Vengeance and Redemption, which is interesting. If you think about Revelation, like, I mean, what else is Revelation than, than vengeance? You know, the wrath of God being poured out and, and judging those who deserve it. But right. also in that judgment, there's a positive judgment to redeem people. Um, who have been, um, you know, redeemed by the blood of Jesus. So uh, this is what I'll read, maybe the first three verses. Cool. We'll see how it goes. Yeah, so here's Isaiah 63. Who is this coming from Edom, from Bozrah, with his garments stained crimson? Who is this, robed in splendor, striding forward in the greatness of his strength? It is I, proclaiming victory, mighty to save. Why are your garments red? like those of one treading the winepress. I have trodden the winepress alone from the nations. No one was with me. I trampled them in my anger and trod them down in my wrath. Their blood spattered my garments and I stained my clothing. It was for me the day of vengeance. The year for me to redeem had come. Uh, Yeah, we'll we'll stop there. There's more. Oh, verse six is interesting. I trampled the nations in my anger in my wrath, I made them drunk and poured their blood on the ground. The, so these six verses here um, bring up Revelation 18 and 19. There's a lot about nations being drunk on blood. Um, a lot of in, just really interesting imagery. Um, and so the, the thing is, who, who is this character in Revelation 63? It's or Isaiah 63. Isaiah, yeah, sorry. That's not 63 chapters in Revelation. Um, th- this this character is is the Lord. Mm-hmm. He is trampling the wine press, and so in in ancient times you had your vineyard. Um, often you would build into your vineyard a little concrete pad with drains out of it, and you would step on the grapes to stomp them, so the juice would be squeezed out. It would go down through the drains, down the hill a little bit into a vat, and from that vat you would collect it into wine skins or put it in in clay pots so that it would ferment and become wine. Um, and so people tre- treading the wine press often had purple feet, purple robes if they weren't careful enough to hold them. And that's that's something that um, Isaiah 63 uses as an image for God trampling the wine press. The grapes in the press are the enemies of God. Um, it's, it's the blood of the nations here in Isaiah 63. And, and that's... It's hard to say it's anyone else's blood because it was a day of vengeance. I trampled the nations in my anger. Um, and so when we come back to our, to Revelation 19, his robe is dipped in blood and later he treads the winepress of the fury of the wrath of God Almighty. That's what... <laughs> that's. So, so in theory, yeah. you know, you, you look at all these different concepts of whose blood it is it's the blood of the if it's the blood of of the evil enemy 
It's the one that yeah. he comes to to judge, and he's gonna wipe out the devil, the beast, and the false prophet. You're know, representing the the powerful evil kingdoms of the world and the mm-hmm. kings and all of their armies. And so, what's interesting about that image, then, Darren, is that and Darren and Rob is that he's flying, he's riding in this, uh, on the clouds on a horse, and his robes is he already. On the I don't think he's on the clouds yet, is he? He's not on the clouds yet, but he's riding on the horse and his robe's already dipped in blood. Right. This is before the battle. Right. So that's what's, you know, it's kind of interesting if you think about it that way. Mm-hmm. Hmm. So then I, so I got to ask the question then with Jesus in the second coming, is there an actual battle of Armageddon? No. I mean, the, <laughs> the, the nations seem to array themselves against Jesus, but... Jesus is just like, nope. You, you titled your sermon Return to the King, but yeah. you didn't. Uh, so I, I, I think of the Braveheart thing, too, where, where the William Wilbur... I, I almost went, you know, Lord of the Rings. Right. I, I went, I titled it The Lord of the Rings, but I decided to go Braveheart for the picture. Yeah. Because yeah. in Return to the King, like it, the, one of the most epic charges is when the King of Rohan comes and he knocks his sword against all the spears at the front row of the cavalry. Yeah. And then they just scream death three yeah. times, and then they ride into and battle. And they ride into battle. Yeah, but... And then, you know, commence another hour of the Battle right. of Pelennor of Fields. fighting. Yeah, of so, battling. But, well, but you know, that doesn't, ha- we don't see that epic battle here. No, you don't. You see Jesus roll in, the armies of the enemy are, are standing there against him. And then just the next thing, thing you see is that Jesus won. The, so it's like, it's like Gandalf waving, you know, the, the, the staff, right? Yeah. And just wiping everybody out. If we're going Lord of the Rings metaphors, I might have mentioned this last week. I can't remember. Rob, stop me if I've heard this one before, but Bilbo Bilbo gets knocked out in The Hobbit during right. the last battle. Yeah. Have I mentioned that here? I no, but, no, but yeah, I'm familiar with it. Yeah. Yeah. yeah Bilbo in, in The Hobbit, uh, when the Battle of the Five Armies happens, Bilbo falls, trips or something and, and gets knocked out. He, his head hits a rock and then he wakes up and the battle's over. Right. That's more of what happens here. Yeah. Yeah. It's like you know, Jesus comes in and, you know, we, we see this powerful picture though, right? That the word of God is the sword. And so... You know, Jesus, you know, we kind of almost get this picture like Jesus, he rides into the battle and he just speaks judgment over him. Mm-hmm. Just like he spoke light into existence and creation into existence. Jesus speaks judgment over the evil armies and they're all wiped out. And that's when the lead characters, the unholy trinity, we called it, right? The dragon, the beast, and the false prophet get thrown into the the lake of fire. And All right, so then we'll go. We'll go a little rapid fire here with you guys on that. With the with the beast, the false prophet, and what's the other ho- unholy trinity? Dragon. Sorry, the dragon. Dragon. Literal or figurative? Le- figurative. Literarily. Literarily figurative. <laughs> like, is there when they say so? Like the big questions when you ever talk about Revelation is like when you talk about like the mark of the beast. Is it? Is it is it the spirit of the beast? Go. Is it, or is it the actual beast? Is there some a, like a? Is there an antichrist, or is it the spirit of antichrist? So, disclaimer before we answer uh, to all of our listeners: encourage you guys to go and read the text for yourself, and do some is Bible that, study, read some good commentaries, and don't just take our words for it. Right? I want you guys to all 
do your study and know why you believe what you believe. Now, the second disclaimer this is, is our, this is our Berean disclaimer, by the yes, way. Yes, Berean disclaimer. <laughs> second disclaimer is it doesn't really matter, right? It's not it's not essential to our faith in Jesus. It's not essential to the understanding of God and 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 all of the the aspects to living our life. Uh, but it is fun to talk about because these are pictures and images and words that we see in this last section of Revelation. Yep. So it does matter. It's just not going to impact your future relationship with Jesus if you choose opposite of what we say. Mm-hmm. All right, disclaimer over. Okay, right. okay. So the th- the three evil trinity, more lit- like more literal or more figurative? I, I say more figurative, and yet we have to make sure that we know what those figures represent. So the dragon is obviously Satan. We've talked about that at length here. The the second beast is kind of like a a false messianic figure. You can call it antichrist if you want to. That's not the language that John uses. Uh, and then the 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 false prophet is similar to what the holy what the Holy Spirit does in, in pointing to the messianic figure. The Holy Spirit for us always points back to Jesus. And Jesus points us to a relationship with the Father and vice versa. Mm-hmm. So, um, and, and that's that's what happens here. The Messiah, the false Messiah, comes and, and gives an account of the dragon. And then the, the false prophet, the second beast, comes and gives, points people to worship um, the, the false Messiah figure. So that's that's what we see here. Um, and if, if we're willing to talk about it, the the whole mark of the beast thing, that the mark of the false Messiah, as opposed to the mark of the real Messiah, is important here. And so we, we, we see 666. That's just everyone who's listening to this podcast has probably heard that number as the mark of the beast. It's like, whoa, what is the mark of the beast? Is it credit cards? People is it the that- Apple Palm Pay? That you or the Amazon Palm Am, Pay you see Am, at Amazon One, Amazon One, Amazon yeah. One, yeah. No, I don't know about this. You haven't been to Whole Foods recently? No, I don't go to yeah. Whole Foods. Yeah. King, I'm a King Supers guy. Oh, okay, <laughs> give me some Kroger. Whole, yeah, whole paycheck, <laughs> right? Oh yeah. yeah. Okay, so th- so then uh, we're sort of it's sort of in the middle. Like there's some there's some figurative, there's some literal. So then the next question I have for you guys is like then we're going into more of the millennial. Well, view hold on, Rob, mill- real quick. So yeah, yeah. Let me just give you this, okay? Now, I'm not convinced on... Yeah, I don't know that there's enough in Revelation 19 and 20 for us to make a definitive statement, right? But I, I do think... Like of, a, a statement about if they're a real... Going to be a real thing? Right, right. This, no, let me back up. If you picture John is writing this letter in AD 90, right? And he's writing this to seven real churches and he's given them this picture of what is to come that one day Jesus is going to come defeat death and vanquish evil. And if you're a Christian living in, you know, Smyrna, you know, in Turkey in 8090, your life is miserable because of the emperor Domitian and the Roman Empire. The Roman Empire hates Christians because they don't bow down to Caesar. And Domitian, who is an emperor, a lot like Nero, although a little less crazy, Nero was another emperor. These guys are horrible, horrible, deplorable people who hate Christians because they think they're gods. And so there is a theory out there that is it's really intriguing, is that when John is getting these pictures, he's writing to these seven churches, and he's giving these pictures of this vanquishing of evil, that he's using Rome as the image. Yep. 
and maybe the literal characters. So if you say, okay, the dragon is the devil, and it says that, the red dragon who is Satan, the devil. Then mm-hmm. it says the beast, right? Revelation 12 and 13, it talks about these three characters, and then they're, they're killed in reverse order in 19 and 20. It talks about the beast. Uh, the beast could be Rome, could be the emperor, the power, the evil power of Rome. And then the false prophet, Revelation 13, could be Nero or Domitian. And I, I think that's very, very likely. And can I say why? We can talk about the numbers, the mark of the us. beast. Tell us what 666 Okay, means. so 666, um, it, we, it's not three sixes, it's 666. Right. And the reason why is there's an ancient practice called gematria, which is a Greek idea of assigning numbers to letters. And this is real. You can right. go look it up and you can find out how this works. And the number 666 uh, in Revelation 13, 18, John says he's talking about this person. It seems to be economic because in verse 17, it says um, they received a mark so they could not buy or sell unless they had the mark. So some kind of economic marker, which economics at the time was completely a Roman thing. And then in 18, he says, this calls for wisdom. Let the person who has insight calculate the number of the beast, for it is the number of a man. And that number is 666. Right. If you uh, spell out the name Nero Caesar in Greek letters, and then you find the according numbers assigned to those letters and add them all up, you get 666. Mm-hmm. Now that on its own might not convince you, but I think this one will. There's a textual variant in the manuscripts that we have of Revelation, that the number there is actually 616. Uh, And textual variant meaning someone at some point copied it and it got changed for some reason, whether it was mistake or intentional. I think this one was intentional. And a lot of scholars who who I did some research on a couple months ago agree agree on this statement as well, that if you take the Latin letters for Nero Caesar you get 616. And so in Greek, it adds up to 666, but in Latin, it adds up to 616. And that's why there's a textual variant. Latin was very quickly the language of the the Roman um, Empire in in third and fourth centuries. And Nero is the only name that that can can fit both, 616 and 666. And, you know, there's another cool thing with this too is, you know, when you look at scripture, you see the number seven, it's the number of completion, Mm -hmm. right? And so often you'll hear the angels say that God is holy, 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 right? Or you'll see 777. So, you know, the, the judgment, right? The completion of judgment, seven seals, seven trumpets, seven bowls. So 666, you know, the number six is incomplete. Mm-hmm. So there's also this picture the of... ultimate incompletion. Like the ultimate. So unholy trinity, 666. Holy trinity, 777. Yeah. So again, that's how we kind of get to some of this imagery and symbolism. But it does seem like John is telling a real people in AD 90, look, you guys are going through some hard stuff. And there's this devil out there that we know is real because Jesus has talked about him. And then there is this beast who is the Roman Empire. And then there's a small prophet who was Nero, mm-hmm. right? Because they all know who Nero was. He had died by then. And some people thought that Nero wasn't actually killed, that he was alive and, and out there somewhere. And he was eventually going to come back. That, that that was a real mm, thought, yeah. and so it, it's almost like a, a messianic figure. There's whereas it talks about it's the the beast, the first beast, yeah, appears. It, it has a wound that had been healed, yeah, right. right. Th- that's a parody of the lamb, yeah, because the lamb was standing as though it had been slain, and now here's a beast that has a wound that looks like it's going to be healed. There's so some there just documents so, that think it's Nero out there. Yeah, too. there's so many pictures here, you know, and ultimately. 
like you said earlier, Dan, we bring it down to, to um, the foundational level by saying what John is seeing is that Jesus is going to make all things right and he's going to vanquish evil and death and sin someday, right? But he's using, just like Genesis 1, when God uses characters from the Egyptian creation story to help the Jews understand creation, I think could John be using characters from the Roman Empire that the Christians in 8090 see every single day or hear about and are experiencing in their lives through persecution to help them make sense of what Jesus will one day come and do? Mm-hmm. So that's why I think taking a symbolic or, or, or kind of figurative view by looking at apocalyptic literature helps us to make sense of it rather than sometimes we can get in trouble when we when we go wooden literal translation and we put ourselves in a small box that mm-hmm. says, well, we, we don't know that it's the antichrist until he's a beast with 10 horns and seven heads. Well, right. I haven't met a guy yet with 10 horns and seven heads, thankfully. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I'd also just to clarify, and I know Drew, you didn't mean this, but I would want to say it, that Genesis is not apocalyptic literature. Correct. correct. And so it, we weren't just comparing um, revelation symbolism to Genesis one symbolism. Yeah, but just so. you know, just the idea that God's word does communicate truth often yes. in pictures. Yeah, and and using using what the culture knew, using to what the culture truth. knew exactly. Yeah, hey, apocalyptic literature the, is just a, a unique thing. So yeah, as we're, as we're wrapping this up, then are we in the last days? Yes. <sighs> yeah. So and here's <laughs> the debate on the millennium. So in in you know Revelation twenty, Jesus comes, he takes the dragon. And he, he binds him in a bottomless pit for a thousand years. And then it says after a thousand years that Satan is released and that Jesus defeats him and throws him into the lake of fire. And so that's led scholars to debate. Is this a literal thousand years or is it a picture of a thousand years? And there's three and a half and a half views on this. And Rob, we can give them to you real quick. Uh, okay, so the most common one that I think most of us in the United States have been taught and espoused is uh, we call it premillennialism. But there's two kinds of premillennialism. Uh, one is called classical premillennialism, and the other one is pre-tribulational. Um, in the couple of podcasts, we've talked about tribulation and the rapture and stuff. Um, pre-tribulational premillennialism is the one where there's the seven-year um, tribulation, but the church does not have to experience that. We are taken up with Christ. We are caught up in the air, and those things are read in Thessalonians. And then after the tribulation, we come back down with him to the earth. Then we experience the millennium, which is a thousand years. And then after that millennium, there's a resurrection of unbelievers, and there's a judgment, and then a new heaven and a new earth, which turns into the eternal state where Christ is reigning. Um, the difference between pre-tribulational and classical is the tribulation. So obviously in classical, there is no tribulation. It's the idea that we are just in this time where we're experiencing the hardships of what it means to live on this earth in a already but not yet kind of, of earthly kingdom. Um, the other two is awe millennialism, meaning that there is no millennium, that um, we are just in this idea now that the church age is this um, figurative 1000 years. And at some point the throne will come back. Jesus will come down and then we will exist in the eternal state. Post millennialism um, means that the church age will, and I think that's how it is. Drew, correct me. The church age will eventually grow 
into a thousand year reign on earth where things are just perfect. Yeah. Right. And yeah. then, then, and Jesus then Jesus eventually returns. comes back. Yeah. Yeah. And so the idea is that this thousand year period is a, is a period of time of peace where, you know, the church is growing and there's prosperity amongst the church and the premillennialism view just says, well, Jesus comes, he defeats evil now and he locks Satan in prison for a thousand years. And now you have this great period of, of rest and, and peace the amillennialism really just says, hey, we're living in the millennial now. We're just kind of living in this period of millennial now, and, and Jesus is going to come back at the end. And then, yeah, post is that, you know, things just naturally keep getting better for the church, and then Jesus returns. But I think ultimately it comes down to the question, is that thousand years viewed as a literal thousand years or not, based on is Revelation 20 a recapitulation or, or seeing Revelation 19 from another angle? So really, if you say, Rob, Jesus returns, he vanquishes evil in Revelation 19, and he wipes it out. Revelation 20, is it separate, a separate event where Jesus takes on the devil and locks him in prison and then defeats him? Or is it just another angle of what Jesus did in Revelation 19 when he vanquishes evil? Postmillennialism and amillennialism say that it's just a different angle, that Jesus wipes out the devil at the same time he wipes out the beast and all the bad guys. Whereas in Revelation 19, where premillennialism said it's two different things. Mm-hmm. It's premillennialism, will, I can't even say that word very well. Premillennialism <laughs> will say that Revelation 19 and Revelation 20 are chronological in order, but they're two different battles. So, so this go this goes back to one of the thoughts we've said before. Is like, is this where like because it, the Bible's broken up into chapters and verses, and this was probably meant to be read all the way through, where it kind of then gives a, a lens of looking at it with chapters and verses that weren't there originally, like in the like the addresses for the words that changes yeah, no, in the views of this. Yeah, that's a good point. And and I, I was just looking through, even as Drew was preaching, in, in the ESV, which tries to do word-for-word translation, you see at the beginning of most paragraphs, then I saw, then I saw, then I saw. And there's this idea, and, and the word then in, in this case is not a chronological marking of the order in which these events unfold, but the, the way in which John saw them. Like, you can't see all these things at the same mm. time. Right. And so... And, and there, there's also a couple places in the whole book of Revelation where John says, and I saw a door standing open in heaven. That happens just two or three times. And those kind of phrases signify large chunks or large breaks where it could be transitioning into a different kind of vision or a, a same vision, but from a different angle like we're talking about. And so when we get to Revelation 19 verse 11, we saw, we, 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 we see a door standing open in heaven or heaven's, heaven was standing open. And here we get the scene of Jesus. And then verse 17, then I saw. Verse uh, chapter 20, then I saw. Uh, and, and, and you see these things happening. And it's like, then I saw this, then I saw this, then I saw this, and I saw this. And it, it, I think it's, it's not necessarily the thing to do to understand that in order of time. In some literature, like Hebrew narrative literature, that's totally how you do it. Because that's how narrative works. But this isn't a narrative. This is apocalyptic literature. Right that has a prophetic aspect to it. And, and so, yeah, I, I, I land more on the, the idea that it is a different angle. And chapter 20, verses 1 through 10, it's really about this idea that the saints are not persecuted 
and harmed by the beast and the the dragon anymore. But the God's God's people are are vindicated because in where is it? Yeah, when the thousand years are over, you you see that on one side are are is the dragon and the beast, or well, just the dragon, the beast are gone, and on the other side is Jesus and the saints, and the dragon cannot touch the saints anymore. Right. There's no more harm and evil that can be done to the people who have been resurrected and, and are standing with God. There, there, there's, there's no way. And in verse 10, the devil who has deceived them was just thrown into the lake of fire. And so th- this, I think, is much more the point of Revelation 20, that God's people are vindicated. Yeah. That they are now in the right and, and justice has finally been done for all the evil that has been committed against them yeah. and all the tribulation that we continue to endure today, justice is coming. And I think that's one of the themes that you see here is that when you look at the tribulation language of Revelation 6 through 16, you see seven seals, which turn into seven trumpets, which turn into seven bowls, often telling this story of God's judgment in three different ways. And so Revelation 19 and 20, you know, could they be different angles of that same thing, right? You know, you you get into trouble when, you, you don't get into trouble, I shouldn't say that, but you get into a challenge when you try to make it fit into chronological order when that really wasn't what it was intended to be. And so that's the big question here when you read Revelation, as we get to the end of the book and we say, are we supposed to read this thing like it's a chronological order of future events or do we take away the big picture? Mm -hmm. And I think that's where Darren and I have landed is we take away the big picture, which means, Rob, that what I believe about the millennium and if it is a thousand years or not, so be it doesn't matter. It doesn't, it doesn't matter really. So don't burn too many calories or brain cells or don't burn us if you disagree or yeah, or don't send us lots of emails <laughs> if you don't agree in the, the, being literal or not literal a thousand years. Cause ultimately do you believe that Jesus is the King of heaven who is going to come back and set everything right someday? Well, that's what the story of, or that's what the vision in John 20 or John is telling us in revelation 20 is all about. Can I, I was just thinking too, is like, can you imagine being John and seeing all this stuff and trying to write it down? I know. Like, you probably like, like oh. yeah, still kind of weird, but <laughs> yeah. I got, I got a two part theory here to wrap this up about, uh, what we've been talking about in revelation. First, I think it's more literal than we think. And second, I think that there's more imagery there than we think as well. Mm. Yeah. Thanks Rob. That's it. That's hey, at all the beginning, you asked me. So at the beginning, you asked yeah. me the question to nail down the date of when Jesus comes back. Here we go. I got yeah. it. You guys ready? Yeah. Some someday. <laughs> wah, wah, wah. Uh, <laughs> that's that's a disappointing <laughs> prediction. I know, I know, but you know, if I don't soon, that's what soon. Jesus said. Oh yeah, soon. Yeah, soon. back up. I got a prediction. Soon. Well, yeah. When, what's your prediction? Soon. Oh, okay. All right, great. So. If you guys have any parting thoughts as we wrap this up, Pastor Darren ends. Mm. Oh, I mean, yes, but no. Drew <laughs> is better rapping bo- than I am. For a future bonus episode. Yeah. Pastor Drew Tarwater, any parting thoughts? Jesus will come back someday and it will set everything right and paradise will be restored. And that is going to happen soon. Soon. <laughs> <laughs> if you have questions, which... I know I do. Life at ForefrontChurch.tv. If you got questions uh, you want Drew and Darren to answer, or if, probably you don't want me to answer. I won't want you to. 
life at forefrontchurch.tv or put a note if you're there on Sundays in the connection box. We'd love to hear from you. So thank you so much for listening, Pastor Darren. Thank you so much. You betcha. Pastor Drew Tarwater, thank you so much. See you, fellas. All right, and I'm Rob Lazzi. Thanks for listening. You have been listening to More to the Story, a weekly podcast featuring Pastor Drew Tarwater and Pastor Darren Enns of Forefront Church in Denver, Colorado. Each week, More to the Story podcast will follow the Forefront Church Sunday sermon as Pastor Drew and Pastor Darren guide you through the Bible from Genesis through Revelation. Every podcast will feature in-depth analysis of the sermon and answer questions about the Bible. Thank you for listening. We'll be back next week with another edition of More to the Story.